0: This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
1: All of what we're doing is is, uh, focused on winning the game. That is really, that's our focus. We need to win. We need to get ready to win. We need all all parts uh, engaged. This is one more great opportunity. We've had a couple of them in the past month, and we've got one more coming up.
2: UCLA's been great all year and they'll be a great opponent, but we're looking forward to it. You know, personally, I love a challenge like that, um, especially their defense, they got a fast defense. So, I mean, I'm really looking forward to it and guys are gonna be focused. Like I said, this is a great team, so if we don't prepare right, we don't get our mind right, we can get, we can, you know, we can get pre- beat pretty well, but I know these guys won't let that happen and I personally,
0: we're not gonna let that happen.
1: Our first impressions are speed. They've had some productive defensive linemen. They have a productive runner. They have a terrific young passer. A guy's a good quarterback. At a, at a young age, He's, it's a challenge all the way around. This is speed team this, and athletic.
3: And welcome here to the bowl edition of the Husker Online Radio Show. Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppen, and Robin Washett, also Nate Klaus here, will be joining us as uh, Nebraska in full swing with bowl practices. Um, it, it's been a, a jam-packed week. You know, the coaches were on the road recruiting for two straight weeks. They got back last Friday, they held practices Friday and Saturday, and then they came back this week Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Then they'll go Friday and Saturday, then Monday. So, eight practices over I believe a twelve day period um, before they went out here to um, before they go out to San Francisco, Robin. And um, it's been interesting just to kind of get a read of the body language of the team. Um, You know, on Friday and Saturday, they did did a lot of ones on ones and things got a little live there for a while. Um, I know they had to kind of stop practice and tone it down as it sounded like, um, uh, I call call him Ed Reed, Antonio Reed, they they nickname him Ed Reed, uh, laid a pretty um, controversial hit. Some thought it was dirty and it it led to kind of a little melee and uh, Alex Lewis was the guy right in the middle of that one.
4: Yeah, I think some of the frustration with the way the regular season ended is certainly carried over into these bowl practices Uh, you know there's a lot more uh, I guess, in, like you said, intensity and not a lot of whole joking around that we've seen, you know, maybe some early season practices and I guess you could take that as a good thing that, you know, that the, the team is uh, not approaching this as just some kind of throwaway month of practices. I mean, I think that there's um, a, a lot of attitude going on here especially with, you know, some of the young guys making a statement and uh, I think that uh, you know, it, it appears to be a good tone setter for, you know, hopefully a, a strong performance in the bowl game and then that will carry over to the, of the off season with the bowl win
3: and Dan what's been interesting to me is the fact that they've had so many practices over finals week I mean typically finals week is kind of forbidden ground I mean Nebraska basketball for example is not playing a game at all over finals week and it's a straight dead week of nothing Um, Nebraska's had practices Monday Tuesday Wednesday Friday over finals week um, which is a lot but they have to do it that way because of the date of this game on December 26th and Um, you you just wonder there are a lot of guys Mike Riley has hinted that have academic things that could miss this bowl game going forward so this this has been somewhat of a stress-filled week I think for some of these guys to to manage practice and and obviously pass these final exams because if they don't they may be sent home on uh, a plane in San Francisco
2: yeah it is kind of a unique situation and uh, you know Mike Riley and this staff chose to be out on the road recruiting last week Uh, you know like you mentioned didn't start practicing until Friday so they took a little extra time to recruit. That pushed up some of these practices a little bit. And yet, yeah, it, it does take some time out of these guys studying schedules. And, uh, you know, it, it might affect some. There are always guys that are going to be on the line when it comes down to finals, whether they're going to pass a certain class or not. And you just have to hope that, you know, Nebraska's main contributors are able to come through with those finals, or else the Huskers might be missing a couple key uh Key guys that they need for this game, and this is something
3: that Nate um, could chime in on. But the recruiting calendar has changed the last couple of years, where it used to be I think you would get three full weeks, and it's been sized down to two full weeks. And I, I think that's just changed um, the bull month of practice, especially if you have an earlier game. Um, you can't afford to miss those recruiting days, Nate. When especially in your Nebraska situation, and you know Jim Mora mentioned the same thing that they they were out for the full two weeks as well. Um, so it's unique that Nebraska only had, you know, those two weeks, but it's that rule changed a couple of years ago. And even last year, Nebraska didn't start bowl practice until Wednesday of the second week. And um, this year they began it on Friday. So really not a huge difference, but uh, makes you really have to adjust from what you did maybe in years past.
5: Absolutely. You, you've got to take advantage of those first two weeks of the contact period you know, with the dead period being extended out, you have that much less time to go out and see kids and and also bring kids onto your campus. So uh, utilizing those first two weeks of the contact period are huge. You know, unless you can say, hey, uh, we can't come by and see you this first week because we're playing in a conference championship game, you know, sometimes that can be a valid excuse or, uh, you know, be a little bit of a a recruiting tool um, to allow you to not, you know, lose a bunch of ground. But uh, yeah, those first two weeks are crucial.
3: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Dan Hoppen, and Nate Klaus as Nebraska kind of putting the final touches here on the Foster Farms Bowl. and. Um, You you know, you you look at – I mean, we'll talk more about the matchup in next week's show, but, um, you know, I just think there's a lot of questions um, for me with Nebraska's defense going into this game. How will they match up on the back end? And do they have enough secondary bodies to cover uh, UCLA's offense? Um, The X factor will be the pass rush. I think when you look at Nebraska – to win this game um going forward they have to get effective pressure on josh rosen who doesn't like to leave the pocket robin and i I think that's a guy that um you know when you build this game plan you've got to get him in the pocket
4: well yeah and what's even more difficult for nebraska is that when teams do get to josh rosen he doesn't get flustered we asked mark banker that uh the other day and he said you know i asked him if the key to you know a freshman quarterback was getting him rattled with a heavy pass rush he says well You know, I've watched about every single game they've played this season, and he doesn't get rattled. I've seen teams bring the kitchen sink at him and uh, even, you know, knock him around a little bit, and he steps up and just makes plays. So, uh, you know, even if Nebraska is somehow able to get a pass rush, which which it really hasn't done all season long, there's no guarantee that that's going to make that much of an impact on a guy that has a pretty steady head in Josh Rosen.
3: And, Dan, the players uh, have compared UCLA a lot to Miami. You know, you've got kind of the pro style. NFL quarterback like Brad Kai in this case Josh Rosen, and just a lot of really athletic skill players. Um, and, and, and I think that's a fair assessment when you look at what UCLA has. I mean, it, it's going to be a different kind of matchup for Nebraska than what they've seen in the Big Ten.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is a team that I think the Miami comparison is actually really good. You've got a very strong-armed quarterback. You've got some real um, – some real playmakers at receiver Paul Perkins, the running back, actually led the Pac-12 in rushing last year. He's a really good player. So this is going to be a very skilled offense. And obviously, when you look back at the Miami game, it's kind of scary thinking about how the Hurricanes shredded Nebraska. But the Huskers have made some changes in the secondary since then. I think getting Josh Kalou and uh, Chris Jones into the starting lineup is an upgrade over Daniel Davy and Jonathan Rose. Now, you kind of talked about that pass rush, Sean. Where do you see Nebraska kind of going to try and generate that? Because when they've just been rushing four this season, they haven't had a lot of success doing that. Do you think maybe getting freedom healthy helps that? Or do you think Mark Banker has to bring a lot more blitzes?
3: I I think freedom being healthy does help in this game in a lot of ways. But Malik, I mean, you've got Mm -hmm. two guys – Let's just say and we're gonna talk about this more in the next segment, but you got two guys that wanna get paid. Malik Collins and Vincent Valentine. Yep. They've submitted their names and it's a prove it game. and, And and they for those guys, this is a big game for them. So I think it starts with those guys in the middle, especially with the pocket quarterback. I mean, they could really disrupt the pocket for Nebraska uh, when you look at Malik and Vincent, and, and I think that's where it has to come from because Nebraska's linebackers, Robin, have not been very effective blitzers this year.
4: Yeah, I agree, and it, it does start in the middle. But I could also see Nebraska utilizing more of that dime package and bringing defensive backs. Who are who edge. are
3: the who are the extra defensive backs though? Well, I mean, I,
4: I mean that I see Trey Mosley potentially playing a little bit more. I mean, he had a really good. Uh, off season, so I mean, I think that he's
2: he hasn't played all year. And I think that's what the coaches t- think about. It. Okay, I'm what gonna-
4: about a safety too? You could bring Aaron Williams in there. I mean, you got you got some options at safety that I think you could potentially use. But like you said, yeah, there's there's it's a more depleted defensive backs. But when you look at the end of the season, particularly that Rutgers game, they used the dime more than they had all year long, and they had their best pass rush game of the year. So I mean, if and they're going to do it, it's going to be Malik inside and those guys on the outside. I think
3: you could run dime though when Jonathan Rose is in there, but without Jonathan Rose. You've, I mean, you could move Cockrell to Nickel, and then Aaron, I think what the plan will be is Kalu and Chris Jones and Nickel, you put Cockrell down, Aaron Williams back. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's that's the formula. But when you go Dime, who becomes that extra corner? Because I, I just don't have a lot of faith, Robin, in that next guy in Dime. I mean, especially if Davey's situation is up in the air, I, I just don't see it in a Bose Joseph or a Trey Mosley who's been rumored to possibly le- be leaving. So th- I think there's just a lot of questions. Can you even run dime? Do you have the bodies to do it?
4: Yeah, and that's unfortunately a situation they put themselves in with uh, some off-the-field uh, issues that uh, you know, all of a sudden what was uh, considered one of the deepest you know, units in the defense is now pretty depleted. But regardless of how they get it, they have to be able to pressure josh rosen because if they let him sit back there and pat the ball go through all his reads uh, he's going to pick them apart and it'll be a complete disaster so they have to find a way to get him
3: all right when we come back here on the show we will talk more about malik collins and vincent valentine just the decisions that they have and and kind of where those things are at and uh, also bull practices some of the young players and things to watch going forward you're listening here to the husker online show
0: you're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Hey, Malik, have you given
3: much thought to, to kind of what's next? I mean, a lot of people are gonna ask about your future because you have a decision to make. I mean, do you have a timeline in your mind going forward on how you'll handle, you know, after the bowl game, your future at Nebraska and things like
1: that?
2: No, not really, I'm just worried about UCLA.
1: Malik and I have agreed to talk about this more specifically when we are completely done, and and we both agreed that there will be time to do that. Just as a general rule, if, if they want it, I can give them advice. If they want it, I can get them help and information. And, and if they want to enter the draft, unless I have a real red flag, I'm generally for them going ahead doing that.
3: And back here on the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppin, and Robin and Nate Klaus. And that was defensive tackle Malik Collins and head coach Mike Riley kind of talking about the decision that lies ahead. Malik Collins has obviously submitted his name to get graded by the NFL uh, Draft Advisory Board. He's um, been given an insurance policy that's paid for by Nebraska this year uh, under the Student Athlete Assistance Fund. Um, so I mean, the, the wheels are in motion for him to, to come out unless something drastic happens, in my opinion. And the other one was Vincent Valentine. Uh, Mike Riley did confirm that Valentine has also submitted his name in for a grade. Um, being a little bit more open, but... Uh, I'm hearing a lot of chatter. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised um, if both these guys go, Robin. I mean, I I think Malik's almost a slam dunk, especially with Todd McShay's latest draft board having him as a first rounder. Uh, But Vincent still, I wouldn't be surprised if if he's told third round, fourth round. I mean, I could see him going too.
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's something that we've been talking about since fall camp. I mean, that this was going to be a possibility. So it shouldn't be a total surprise. I think what, you know, maybe is kind of, Uh, renewed this whole conversation is the fact that, you know, Collins at one point you thought that there was no way he was going because he was having such an unproductive season statistically, and uh, he was able to turn it on late, you know, finish with four and a half sacks 14 tackles for or no, two and a half sacks and seven tackles for losses a junior this year, but uh, he's climbing his way back up the draft boards. Uh, you know, uh, Mel Kuiper has him as one of his top five underclassmen. Um, and, then, you know, Matt Miller has him as number 20 on his list of hundred top 100 prospects. And so, I mean, he, he's getting back into that conversation, you know, with Todd McShay of ESPN putting him as a potential first-rounder to the Seattle Seahawks. You know, I think that that makes That would, it, that
3: would definitely get you to go, I would
4: yeah, say. Yeah, I yes. mean, that, that's, that's all you need to know because, you know, as Mike Riley put it, if you have the opportunity and it's a slam-dunk situation like this, he's going to encourage you to go for it. So, I mean, if you have really nothing holding you back here and you have that opportunity to make the the achieve your lifelong goal playing in the pros. I say I'll go for it, Malik. Well it's kind of interesting because Mel Kuyper who's you know kind of
2: ESPN's other big draft guru along with Todd McShay doesn't have Malik Collins among his top 10 defensive tackles and he does note that the de- defensive tackle is arguably the deepest. And does he put underclassmen the on there? Yes they're is- underclassmen on this list. Um, So it's I think that there are kind of some wide-ranging opinions on Malik. Obviously, he's a guy who has seen a lot of double teams this year. Um, That's certainly hurt his production. Nebraska's had so many injuries on the defensive line that they haven't really been able to protect him um, and have some of their best players. And a scheme change. Yes, yes. That that's all. um, Those are all very good points. I think if you're Malik Collins and you submit your name and you get a first or second round grade. That's really hard to turn down because that's a lot of money. And, you know, if you go into that senior seat, look, it worked out for Indomic and Sue that that was a guy who came back. You know, he was potentially a first or second round pick, came back, ended up being the number two overall pick in the draft after a fantastic senior year. That doesn't happen very often. I mean, there's a much higher chance that you tear up your knee or have a significant injury and see your draft slot go down.
3: What's different to me, though, about Malik versus Sue and that decision process was Sue. Um, wasn't his fourth year. He redshirted and was in a fourth year where Malik is a true junior. Mm-hmm. So he's only had two and a half years of college when you talk about schoolwork and things like that. And uh, I know getting a degree is a priority. I mean, maybe it's not a huge priority to, to complete that, but he's going to be a long ways away from a degree, um, which obviously the money is the money. You can't turn that away. But um, Sue had a fourth year under him when he made that decision and came back for a fifth where – I don't know, and I don't even know if, Nate, you could chime in on this. Has there ever been – when's the last time a third-year junior has gone pro? I mean, I, it's common with fourth-year guys, but was F- Fabian a, a third-year junior, right? Or would, I don't think F- – Fabian played as a true freshman. Yeah, he
5: played as a true freshman. He may have been the last one. I mean, it's definitely not common. You know, the other thing to keep in mind with Malik Collins is that he has a family. He's got a young child. Uh, he's got a family to support, and Dominican Sue. you know didn't have a family to support he was close to getting his degree so I think that was that made it a little easier for him to come back too. and I guarantee you that um you know taking care of his family is weighing on Malik Collins's mind as well
3: yeah it will be interesting to see and Vincent too I mean what 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 is everybody has a number Everyone has a what they want to hear, and Vincent won't tell you this probably, but what what does he want to hear? Like what gets you to go? And and, and that's kind of like in baseball, Dan, when you're doing the baseball draft. Yeah, exactly. What's your number? I mean that that that's what that's what yeah that's what it comes down to. And you know when you tell when they give you your grade, and it's not accurate. I mean it's not 100 percent accurate, uh-huh. but you kind of know how much money that grade is worth at least.
2: I have a very hard time seeing. NFL teams being high enough on Vincent Valentine for him to leave though. And and I could be wrong here. He, he obviously has a lot of talent, a lot of skills, but he's been very injury prone throughout his career. Heavy. He's yes, he's heavy. He's been very injury prone this season. He's got 8 tackles this year, guys. 8 tackles. Now, half of them are for loss and he's got 3 sacks, so that's actually pretty impressive. Uh, but didn't got you eight say total. Andy
3: Janovich has more tackles on special teams? Andy
2: Janovich has 11 tackles. And that's Nebraska's starting fullback. Vincent Valentine has eight. Like I, I, I understand that the talent is there, but I have a very hard time, even in the third or fourth round, an NFL team saying, we're going to take this injury-prone, at least this season, unproductive defensive tackle that high. Those picks are just too valuable.
4: I think if you're not in the top two rounds, basically a guaranteed top two round guy, it's a huge risk to leave early because... Uh, I mean think of the opportunity he would have going into next season I mean he would be the man at nose tackle and uh, alongside you know Kevin Williams it would be a, have a whole nother year of experience. Kevin Maurice too. Yeah Kevin Reese, and so you know he would have uh, an opportunity to really make a huge jump uh, with his just overall productivity which would make his resume for NFL teams a lot more appealing.
3: You're listening here to the Oscar online show um, as we put a Wrap on this draft talk. Let, let's shift over here for the last couple minutes on, on these bowl practices and and what they mean to the young guys. I mean, I, really, I think only Friday and Saturday were the the two that the young guys got a lot of reps. But uh, the offensive line is my biggest question going forward. The puzzle that Mike Cavanaugh has to put together. Uh, with this group. I mean, you, you, you lose Alex Lewis, you lose Ryan Reeves, you lose Zach Stirrup, you lose Chungo Gondola, um, a lot of veteran bodies that have played a lot of snaps. And you're looking at David Neville on paper being a starting tackle next year. and, and never that, played. And that's scary. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Kavanaugh admitted to that when we talked to him this week. And, you know, you're banking on, I think, DJ Foster, or Gerald Foster coming in and being a starter um center you know is it Dylan Utter or is it Paul Thurston or could it even be um the young guy from Omaha North um coming in there and being the guy I mean it, Michael I, I, Decker Decker yeah yes. I mean it's it's uh it's one of those deals where I think there's a lot of questions but tackle to me is is I don't know where they go I mean that, it is so uh, up in the air at offensive tackle
2: yeah kind of what it looks like on paper almost is that they could flip Nick Gates who is arguably one of Nebraska's best linemen this year to the left side Put David Neville over on the right side where there's a little less pressure. You know, you're not protecting the quarterback's blind side. But like you said, Sean, I mean, that's not an ideal situation. David Neville's obviously huge. I think he's got some talent. But he has not played a lot of football in his career. And he's played very, very little at Nebraska. Maybe a couple mop-up opportunities like extra points and stuff. So all of a sudden taking that guy and making him a
3: starter, yeah, it's a little worrisome. They will carry four tackles into the spring. David Neville, Nick Gates, Sam Hahn and um, Christian Gaylord. Is Jalen Barnett a guard? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's pretty squatty, and and I mean, he's not – I don't think he's athletic. I mean, and that's the difference with this offense. You have to have – I mean, and really it's been this way at Nebraska since 2004 when Bill Callahan got here. The tackle position at Nebraska is now a pro-style tackle, where under Osborne and Solage, you had – you could have the sawed-off guard playing tackle. And Nebraska made a living on sawed-off guys that were about 6'3", 6'4", guards that played tackle. And they didn't put a lot of NFL guys in at that position. So it's a very difficult position. And, And, Nate, that's why Matt Farniak is a huge recruit for Nebraska um, he could essentially play as a freshman
5: Yeah, there's a chance I mean you never want to count on a true freshman coming in and, and playing along the offensive line or defensive line for that matter but there's definitely a chance that that Nebraska uh, is gonna have to rely on a guy like Matt Farniak or or any of the other offensive tackles that they sign in this recruiting class to at least give them uh, you know some some time as a backup or be a viable backup
3: All right, when we come back here on the Husker Online Show, we will shift over to basketball talk. The Huskers got a big win over Rhode Island, and I think Tim Miles has a decision to make at point guard between Benny Parker and Glenn Watson as they get ready for Big Ten. We'll talk to Robin Washett about that next Here, You're listening to the Husker Online Show.
0: This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And back here on the Husker Online Show.
3: Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppen, and Robin Washett as we shift back over now to talk some Husker basketball. Uh, the Huskers got a huge win uh, on Sunday. And, and, and you don't want to call it a must-win game, Robin, but um, they, they beat Rhode Island, and they, they didn't play particularly well in that game. And um, this at least gives the Huskers some momentum as they get ready to go into Big Ten play. They, they have what I would consider two tune-up games um, so you're looking at a 9-4 and four record out of the non-conference, more than likely, um, with two home games to open Big Ten play, um, but when you, you look at this team, especially that Rhode Island win, what, what did that game do uh, for you, uh, the way they played against a team that beat them a year ago?
4: Well, certainly, I mean, from a momentum standpoint, it was big. and. Uh, if you narrow the scope down to, you know, potential postseason resume, uh, a win like that is huge because they've blown every other potential big uh, resume building uh, game that they've had on the schedule, maybe outside of Tennessee. But uh, I think as much as anything, it gives you a little bit more confidence in this young team that, you know, this was one of the first situations where it was a true toss-up game. And Nebraska has always won the games they're supposed to win, and they've lost the games they've been underdogs. And this was the first real toss-up game. You that, don't think
3: Creighton was a toss-up game? They were a five-point underdog in that game. Well, that's not very much in a basketball
4: spread. Well, it's, it's on the road and against a team you haven't beaten in four years. So, I mean, it's... Uh, uh, I don't know. I would have called Creighton a toss-up game. I mean,
3: just just perceptionally with what Creighton did last year. I mean, that was not the Doug McDermott Creighton team. I mean, it was a a, a very similar team in Nebraska that I think Nebraska could beat in Lincoln. Um, but yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the Rhode Island game. What was the spread on that game?
4: It was basically a pick em, like one point. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, your point is well taken. Yeah, No, I –
3: yeah. Uh, but they just haven't had – I mean, you, you look at wins against Pierce, Tennessee and Rhode Island. I mean, would those be your top two wins by far for Nebraska?
4: Yeah, no doubt. That the other ones have come against, you know, mid-major – D2 program. So, uh yeah, I'd say that that's you know again, it was a big builder, you know, for a way to cap off, you know, assuming they don't have any total failures here in the non-conference play. I mean, that it caps off a, a high point of your non-conference schedule going into Big 10 play and then you look ahead, you open conference play with two straight home games against Northwestern who's playing lights out. I think they're in 8 and 1, 9 and 1 right now with their only loss coming to North Carolina and then Indiana, which you know may not be the the Indiana of old, but they're still a strong opponent. So I mean, it, it gives you uh, a a nice bit uh, boost going into what should be a pretty uh you know pivotal start to the big 10 commerce play because if you end up getting at least one of those you're sitting pretty good now robin what does a win like this rhode island one
2: mean for the team mentally you mentioned you know how they've really kind of struggled to win these these toss-up 50 50 games this was one that they finally won does that give them a mental boost
4: yeah i think so and especially the in the manner in which it happened i mean they were down eleven points. In the first half we were able to come back and uh, you know close the game out at the end and uh, really kind of showed some resolve which you know with a young team again like this any instance you can get like that where you can point to a game and say look we've done this before i know you guys are capable of it it's going to help you down the stretch so yeah i think just from a mental standpoint you know not only um, just the, the overall, you know, benefits of a win, but uh, the the fact that they were able to beat a good team at home and come from behind to do it uh, is pretty positive. Now, real quickly, why did Ed Morrow only play four minutes? I think it has mostly to do with Michael Jacobson playing. I mean, he played a career-high 26... I caught my eye, too. Yeah, he played a career-high 26 minutes, and if you look at previous... Played very well. Yeah, and if you look at previous box scores, usually those minutes are divvied out pretty evenly uh, between Jacobson, uh, Hammond, and Morrow, but uh, with, you know, Jacobson basically solidifying himself as that, you know, new fifth starter... Uh, I think that that, that's going to continue to take away minutes just because he's playing well, and the reason because of that is he's the best offensive option they have down low. I mean, Ed Morrow's been great on the boards. Uh, You know, he's held his own defensively. Jake Hammond's probably their best rim protector on defense, but from on the offensive side of the court, uh, Jacobson is far and away the best uh, threat that they have just because of his ability to step out and knock down jump shots. So that that adds a nice element to this offense, and I think he'll continue to see big minutes because of it.
3: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Dan Hoffman, and Robin Washett as we uh, talk some Husker basketball here. And I think one of the big personnel Uh, decisions that that needs to be made here as big 10 play approaches his point guard. um, I think everybody knows the elephant in the room and that's Benny Parker. I mean, he's a loyal guy. He's been around for five years and Siobhan Shields and him are both Kansas city guys they are both very close. And you know, you got Glenn Watson, a high profile Chicago kid that, that has proven it. He's put up points. He's produced. He doesn't turn the ball over. Um, I think it's put Tim miles in a tough, tough spot um, because You kind of have your captain, Minnie Parker, but then the hot shot freshman. And, and, you know, how how do you handle this um, decision,
4: Robin, going forward? Yeah, I'm not so caught up on the starting lineup situation uh, because I think it's far more important – who finishes the game and who starts it. And right now, Glenn Watson has been finishing games and he's been a huge part of uh, their efforts uh, in tight games, uh, you know, both on the road and at home. So uh, I think he's going to continue to play regardless of if he's the first guy out there on the court or not. But uh, I think if nothing else, Tim Miles has a couple options with what he could do here. I mean, it's not necessarily an either-or with Watson and Parker. I mean, Ty Webster could come off the bench as well, too. If you look at the end of that Rhode Island game, Parker and Watson were on the floor together for the majority of that second-half comeback. And so I I think that's a potential option you can have. That way you have your senior uh, leader, Benny Parker, your best uh, perimeter defender on the court, and you also have your best scoring guard in Glenn Watson. So uh, that's an option. And then you know Ty Webster's also playing some of the best ball of his career, too. I mean, he's coming off the Tournament team at the Barclays Classic and is third on the team in scoring right now. So uh, the, it's a good problem to have that you have those types of options in your backcourt. And uh, regardless of what he does with the starting lineup, I think Glenn Watson is going to continue to see a lot of minutes. I wouldn't be surprised if he's getting to see 25, 30 minutes a game from here on out. And I think that Rhode Island game was just
2: huge for Glenn. I mean, he's done a great job this year assisting, not turning the ball over. He's been, you know, pretty good in that respect. Has not shot the ball very well on the season, shooting under 39%, but he was 7 for 9 against Rhode Island. It's
3: a low-arcing shot. It is, and
2: I, and I think that's something that Nebraska is going to have to look at, maybe adjust with him a little bit. That's you know not going to happen in season, uh, but maybe in the offseason. But the fact that he was able to make a couple shots, I think at the very least it just helps your confidence.
3: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as um, uh, we put a wrap here on this basketball talk. Um, Andrew White, too, Robin, I, I, as we close here. I think he's somebody – that just needs to, to to be consistent. I mean Nebraska wants to kind of hover, I believe. I mean let's just face it. I mean a 500 record type mark is I think the high mark for this team in the Big 10. I don't I don't see this team being You know, I I think they can hover between that 7 to 10 win mark in the Big Mm -hmm. Ten if they played their best ball, and that's if. And I think Andrew White has to be um, a big factor in that.
4: Yeah, no doubt about it. And so far, he's been holding his own. I mean, he leads the team with just under 17 points a game. Uh, He's one of their second-leading rebounder. He's the best three-point shooter. Uh, So he's doing a little bit of everything for him. So he's certainly lived up to the billing. And uh, the good news is that they actually finally have uh, that that kind of uh, – support where if you know Andrew White's having an off game Siobhan Shields steps up if Shields has a bad game White steps up and so as long as they continue to get production out of Webster Watson and Jacobson and and down the list I think Nebraska's feeling a lot better than what they were a year ago and Andrew White
2: after having one assist in the first 10 games (laughs) had two against Rhode Island playmaker
3: all right (laughs) when we come back we'll switch over to our stock report what's trending up what's trending down you're listening here to the Husker Online Show
0: This is HuskerOnline.com. Your authority on Nebraska athletics.
5: Uh, you know, I grew up on the farm, building hot rods and working on cars, and always liked that stuff. And. You know, the, the idea of, uh, of being a part of a team like that and continue, continuing to train athletically and, and working on specific techniques, that's something that's appealing to me. You know, when I think about that type of job, I think, it, I think it'd be exciting.
3: And back here on the Husker Online Show, that was senior defensive end Jack Gangwish. I asked him earlier this week, what are your plans after football, Jack? And obviously he talked about doing the NFL thing, maybe even trying Canada. Um, but if that doesn't work out, he wants to try to be a member of a NASCAR Pit crew team, and God bless you, Jack gangwish You are the soundbite that keeps giving. Uh, you, you gave us something to work with on a, a slower day at Husker practice on Tuesday, and uh, my money's on Jack Gangwish making that. And he starts off our stock watch segment. Stock up, Jack Gangwish. And you, Dan, you're kind of the Jack Gangwish author,
4: the guy that's written a lot about him <laughs> this year. Write his biography.
2: Well, I'm I mean, this is this is just one of those guys. Last year, you know, it seems like every year there's at least one or two seniors that you're just like, Man, can't this guy just stick around for quotes? Last year it was Jeremiah Searles. He was just money or that was two years ago, I guess. But he was money on everything he had to say. This year, it's Jack Gangwish. I mean, you can ask that guy the most generic, terrible question in the world, and he will give you a great response. You mentioned that long-form story I wrote on him. That thing basically wrote itself. Jack was you know, so uh, willing to give his time and, and uh, gave me such great material. He will be missed. Whether he's in the NFL, which I don't really see happening, but maybe Canada... Uh, If he's on a NASCAR pit crew, wherever the heck he is, he will
4: be missed by the Nebraska media.
3: All right, let's stick on our stock ups. Robin Washett, what do you have this week?
4: We touched on him a little bit earlier in the basketball segment, but I'm going to go with Michael Jacobson, the freshman who has pretty much solidified himself in Nebraska's starting lineup. You know, he started the past two games and uh, has already been guaranteed by Tim Miles to start a third. And I don't see that changing with the way he's playing. You know, 26 minutes, 11 points, perfect 4-4 from the free throw line, four rebounds, two assists, a block and a steal in a win against Rhode Island. And if he can put anywhere close to those types of numbers up uh, going forward, uh, that's going to be a huge boost to Nebraska's lineup.
3: And Nate Klaus, stock up.
5: I'm going to go with the recruiting effort that we've seen so far through the first couple weeks of the contact period. Uh, Nebraska's been extremely organized, and, uh, you know, right now they're sitting extremely well with well, a lot of their top targets. You know, they haven't had to, to fall back on those plan B and C guys and start scrambling to, to find new new players to recruit. Um, you know, there's there's probably about 10 guys or so when you, when you talk about uh, Markel Simmons, David Reese, and then, of course, Desmond Fitzpatrick, Tony Butler. Lamar Jackson, uh, Matt Farniak, so on and so forth. I mean, these are all guys that uh, that they've targeted for a long time, that they hold in high regard, uh, that they're all that they have a great shot at landing.
3: And Dan Hoppen,
2: I'm going to go with Michael Rose Ivy. This is a guy who has just lost so much of his season due to some nagging injuries. Was suspended for the first game. It looked like this was going to be a big year for him, and he was just never able to stay on the field. He says that that groin that's kind of nagged him all year is feeling as healthy now as it has all season long. It's been big for him to get some time to rest, so hopefully he's able to come out in the bowl game and and put a nice little wrap on what's been a frustrating year.
3: All right, let's move to stock down, and I'm going to start stock down, guys, with uh, defensive back Jonathan Rose. Um, He will not travel to San Francisco. He was suspended Uh, For a third time this season, um, he was suspended for the season opener. He was suspended after the Minnesota game when they won out there, and uh, again now a third time, um, and just a a tough ending for a guy that came in to Nebraska with so much promise—a U.S. Army All-American in high school, a four-star. You know, basically, I think had to leave Auburn for similar reasons to what you hear why he's not playing at Nebraska. So it's unfortunate. Um, You hope Jonathan Rose can grow up and and move on down the road, but not the way I'd want to end my Husker career.
4: Yeah, definitely. I remember when he came as that transfer from Auburn, I mean, people were uh, potentially pegging him as a future pro uh, just because he had that so much potential. But... I was never able to translate due to uh, you know lack of production on the field and problems off of it.
3: All right, stock down, Dan Hoppen, What do you have?
4: I'm going to go with the uh, the
2: Kansas City Royals and Alex Gordon. Uh, the Royals are reportedly really low balling Alex. They're talking about offering him a four year deal worth about 13 million per season that's not going to get it done for a, you know, a, a gold glove outfielder every season. And Alex Gordon's probably going to command more, you know, in the 17-18 20 million dollar range. You'd think for a team that's just coming off a World Series title, you know, maybe you'd want to lock up one of your cornerstones, but, you know, not only are the Royals apparently very far apart on the money, but I think when you offer a guy that much lower than
3: his estimated value, you want him to leave.
2: Yeah you either want him to leave or you run the risk of really, you know, pissing him off, making him mad.
3: Yeah, it's unfortunate. I... I I would like to see him sign in Kansas City. I don't want him to go to San Francisco. <laughs> no,
2: certainly not as a, Dodgers, as a fan. Yeah, Dodgers fan.
3: All right, Nate Klaus, what's your stock down?
5: I'm going to go with the record number of decommitments that we've seen. And, and this was to be expected with all the coaching changes and everything that have taken place. But uh, with players committing so early now and then with all the, the changes that happen after the season, um, we've just seen a, a record number of, of flip-flopping going on with all these with all these guys. and um, and And also, I think, We've seen a lot more schools starting to to cut ties with with players that have been committed to them. Um, you know, obviously, a commitment right now is not binding, and and we're seeing that happen. You know, we're seeing that be the case both ways, both from the school and the kids right now.
4: Robin, watch it. I'm going to go with Wisconsin basketball. I mean, you remember just a few months ago they were playing for a national championship. They beat Kentucky. i no, no, they beat Kentucky in the Final Four, playing Duke for a national title. And since then, it's been a complete disaster to start the season. I mean, they kicked off the year with a home loss to Western Illinois uh, and then ended up uh, losing you know, some pretty inexcusable games to Milwaukee and then just lost to rival Marquette at home, uh, their first back-to-back non-conference home losses since 1990-91. And then, of course, to top it off, they finally get a win uh, at home. And uh, what do you know? Bo Ryan's going to officially announce his retirement out of nowhere. I mean, we knew he was going to retire at the end of the year, but. Uh, then he just shows up at the post-game press conference and delivers a, a speech that you know he's officially going to hang it up. So uh, it's been a, a really difficult start to 2015-16 for Wisconsin. And I do like Greg Gard as, as a potential fill, and I know that's who Bo Ryan wants to, to take over there. I think he's an extremely talented coach who's basically going to pick up where Bo Ryan left off. But uh, right now, for the here and now, they're 7-5 right now in 10th place in the Big Ten, and I don't think anyone would have said that was coming going into the season.
3: And if they made the NCAA tournament, Barry Alvarez would actually coach them with the <laughs> yeah, rumor. I think so. That's my so, uh, yeah. bad Wisconsin basketball joke for the day. All right, <laughs> yeah. that puts a close here on Stockwatch. Robin Dan will talk more next week. Uh, we'll close out
0: the show with a recruiting talk here with Nate Klaus. This is Huskeronline.com. Your authority on Nebraska Athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus as
3: we put a close talking some Husker recruiting Nate and uh, Nebraska had a um, one final official visit weekend uh, before the dead period went into play and uh, four visitors were on campus. Um, You know, not a high-profile, star-studded group, but, um, you know, a solid group of visitors. And um, let's break down that group of visitors that was here. Let's first start with uh, defensive back Tony Butler out of Ohio. Where does Nebraska stand with him?
5: Yeah, Tony Butler, you know, like you said, not a star-studded group, but definitely all players of of need and all really good players. Butler comes out of St. Edward's program in, in Ohio. Uh, They just won a state championship. I mean, they're one of the top teams in the state of Ohio year in and year out. And he actually bumped. Arizona State uh, to make it to, to Lincoln last weekend uh, and the the tie-in here is that he's really good friends with Desmond Fitzpatrick and David Reese and, and all these guys and the you know all these guys that have kind of talked about being package deals so uh, he came to Nebraska I had heard all about it from his friends and he absolutely loved it he um, he's really developed a strong relationship with uh, defensive backs coach Brian Stewart and I, I think that's been key here and you know what's interesting about Butler is that he's you know six to almost 200 pounds. It could play corner. Could play safety. A lot of, you know, you know a lot of versatility there with him. So, uh, and they're really wanting to add a couple bigger corners uh, to really round out this class. So he'd be a perfect fit.
3: All right. Let's stick on now the offensive line. Um, you know, this offensive tackle particularly is a huge area of need. Royce Newman, a Missouri commit, was here. Six foot seven, 260 pounds. I mean, this is a guy that Nebraska could really benefit from if they got him. Where, did, where does it stand right now?
5: the tremendous athlete um, out of southern Illinois. And, and Nebraska, you know, was a team that, that really kind of seized an opportunity, you know, with Royce Newman. When Gary Pinkle uh, retired, they they reached out to him immediately uh, to gauge his interest, and he said he was definitely interested in, in, you know, visiting Nebraska, getting to know the Huskers a little bit more. And he's really developed a good relationship with uh, Mike Cavanaugh, uh, the offensive line coach down there. And, and um, you know, he's really... Really quiet kid. He doesn't give a whole lot away, but I, I think that the visit to Nebraska uh, was pretty eye-opening to him. And um, you know, like, like we've been talking about all show, offensive tackle is a huge um, you know need, and in, in, not just in this class, but on, on the team. Um, you know, for several classes down the road, they just don't have very many bodies there. And Royce Newman would be one heck of a, an athlete to add to that uh, that group.
3: California linebacker commit Cameron Good was here, a two-star. First of all, what's his offer? A committable offer, in your opinion, and, and where does things stand right now with him in Nebraska?
5: Yeah, I think Cameron's good. Uh, Cameron Good's offer is committable to Nebraska. I don't think that he's right at the top of their board right now, but uh, he might be kind of a contingency plan. You know, depending on what happens with with David Reese or uh, Jaleel Laguins out of uh, Georgia. You know, there's a couple linebackers I think that maybe they have rated a little higher than Cameron Good, but um, you know, he's he's an intriguing prospect in his own right and, and a kid that's really started the the process kind of late in terms of taking visits and everything obviously he's committed to cal committed to cal you know right at the beginning of the the football season but has remained kind of open um he's really interested in in academics i think that's going to play a large role and in, in where he ends up um he's going to be taking a visit out to cal and vanderbilt is another program that he's interested in you know Basically, because of academics, so uh, would be nice for Nebraska to, to potentially add Cameron Good because it would give him a commit out of Texas. Uh, you know, because currently they don't have a, a commit out of Texas, and that would be kind of kind of rare to, to see Nebraska sign a recruiting class without anyone from the state.
3: And then the last guy, and um, you know, you and I are both very familiar with uh, Lansing Central Catholic, as we were there about 15 yep. years ago running a combine. Um, and that's a whole other story for a whole other day. <laughs> but uh, Tony six foot six, 230. I'm going to steal a phrase that you like to say a lot, Nate. He's, he's kind of a blank canvas. I mean, you can do so many things with this guy, move him around a lot of positions. I mean, the guy played quarterback. Um, and he's a tight end. He can play D-end. I mean, a lot of different positions. Um, where does it stand? I mean, well, he was committed to Minnesota. He opened it back up. Uh, I'm really intrigued about him. Yeah,
5: he is an extremely intriguing player because he's a tremendous athlete, but like you said he's played quarterback for 3 years. He just got done winning uh, the Gatorade Player of the Year in the state of Michigan. Um, you know, and had a really good good season as a as a quarterback. He you know, was committed to Minnesota last spring and then just recently decommitted. Nebraska reached out to him to see if he'd still be interested in possibly, you know, entertaining the idea of playing a different position in college, which he he said he was. Uh, I think deep down he'd still like to be a quarterback. Iowa State and Central Michigan are recruiting him as a a quarterback. He just picked up an offer from Oklahoma State. I'm not sure if that's as a quarterback or not. I'm assuming it is since they just had, you know, their quarterback commit decommit from them, so uh, it's going to be interesting to see how things play out, and, and I think at the end of the day, it's going to come down to, does he want to continue to, to be a, a quarterback, or is he open to, you know, maybe uh, switching positions to tight end and and potentially, you know, reaching his, his true potential at that position.
3: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Let, let's shift over to in-state stuff. Not particularly 2016, as we've covered that pretty pretty strong. I mean, we know the guys that are still in play, but uh, a new 2017 name, and I wouldn't say it's a new name to you and I. I mean, we 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 saw this kid at Miller North um, during the in-state tour, and that's why we do the in-state tour mm-hmm. to, to to make sure we cover all bases. Jack Bagley, six uh, foot three, 210 pounds, outside linebacker. Um, I mean, just everything you want. He has grades 4.0. He's the son of a principal. Had a great junior season. Um, it seems like Nebraska. Uh, could be very, very close or very interested in offering Jack Bagley here soon. Yeah,
5: uh, ba- Bagley is an interesting kid. I mean, like you said, he, he's got pretty much all the intangibles, all the athletic ability that, that you look for in terms of size and, and intelligence. And, uh, you know, I had a, a tremendous season at, you know, playing safety for the Miller North Mustangs. They they brought home the state championship game. He had some monster games down the stretch to, to allow them to, to win those games too. So um, you know. And I know Fred Petito there at Miller North sent out the film, and Nebraska was interested. Iowa State was another program that responded. You know Iowa's going to get involved. Iowa will definitely be getting involved. So um, I think that the early interest uh, or early response from Nebraska uh, is is interesting. I think that he could definitely, you know, given all of his traits uh, athletically and and academically, I think he would be, you know, very good fit uh, to maybe kick off this 2017 class with a guy that they'd really like to add, um, you know, if they go ahead and offer him pretty soon. You know, I had thought that maybe Cordarius Bailey out of Lincoln High, the defensive end, <clears throat> may have been the, the guy to uh, to get that first offer. But now I'm thinking it could potentially be Bagley.
3: All right, let's close out here. Early enrollees for Nebraska right now that we know of Patrick O'Brien – And then Darian Grimm, um, both these guys are coming in with great senior seasons. O'Brien at quarterback, you know, pass completed over 70%. Um, You you look at Darian Grimm, one of the all-time best seasons statistically in California history. What excites you about these two guys coming early?
5: Well, I think that they're the, what excites me about them is they're both prepared to to take on the challenge of being, you know, an early enrollee, and uh, and I think that's what you have to be if if you're going to be an early enrollee, you have to be extremely mature, and, and you have to be ready to to take on this this challenge and be able to adapt, and and I think both these guys are. I think Patrick O'Brien is uh, extremely intelligent. I, I think he's been. Uh, he's, he's arguably the most, you know, well-rounded quarterback that Nebraska has brought into the program, and maybe since Zach Taylor um, in, in high school wise, you know, I don't know, maybe in the last 10, 15 years at least. So, uh, he's, he's there's a lot to be excited about with with Patrick O'Brien, and I know that he's going to jump right into it um, and, and really try to, uh, uh, you know, grasp the offense and quickly. Let,
3: let me throw this. At, I, I get this all the time. Wasn't Johnny Stanton that guy? And I, it's it's not even comparable as far as the polished skills in the passing game. Am I am I right or wrong with that? No, statement?
5: you're you're dead on there. It, Patrick O'Brien mechanically uh, footwork you know, footwork and all that is is way ahead of of uh, Johnny Stanton. And keep in mind that Nebraska was the first school to to offer Patrick O'Brien. They Danny Langsdorf and Mike Riley found him, sought him out, and, and said, "We want you to be the guy." Now Johnny Stanton was probably you know the the you know 10th 10th option on Nebraska's board that that particular year they they pretty and, much
3: flipped through the yearbook and tried to find the best looking girl <laughs> to take to the prom that was left
5: yeah and that's not to take anything away from Johnny Stanton it's not like Nebraska was with Johnny Stanton's only offer so uh but on the on the other hand Patrick O'Brien I, I think like I said he's coming in as the most polished quarterback that that Nebraska's brought in in, in a long time and and Darian Grimm he's a he's wise behind to his years as well His father played, you know, was was an all-conference player in the Big East at Pittsburgh, uh, you know, had a short career in the NFL, is his offensive coordinator. And and he's really, um, you know, turned Darion into into kind of a pro. He has a great work ethic. He's extremely smart. uh, And like you said, he had one of the best seasons statistically in in California high school history this year.
3: Well, Nate, thanks for the recruiting breakdown. Uh, We will talk more big-picture recruiting stuff with you next week as we put a close to 2015 and and turn the calendar to 2016. Well, that puts a wrap here for another edition of the Husker Online Show.
0: Thanks again for joining us this week on huskeronline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics.